so, we'll invite you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 15. Today's our text in Acts 15, and we are right in the middle of this, not only book, but also in the middle of the chapter. And I must say that in preparing this sermon, in some regards, I was a little... Uh, constrained by time on this particular sermon, but the Lord has given a message, as He always does. He's always faithful to His Word. And I'm excited to share with you what God has given to me in His Word to share with you today. It comes in the aspect of community. It's a powerful reminder of what we saw up here today, and it's a powerful introduction into our sermon. I don't really need an introduction. We are reminded over and again how God is growing His kingdom. And it amazes me how God puts people together to go out on mission together, and he superintends it every time, and he puts the exact amount of people in the exact context they need to be in to exactly what they need to do and equips them to do it. God puts them together to go out and to make much of Jesus. And the essence and the key of discipleship and disciple-making is that we are actually, what we are actually doing is returning worship back to our God. We have been depriving God of worship. We are worshiping something. Every person who has ever took, taken a breath is worshiping something. We are worshipers. And so it is rightful time for us to return worship and give back to God and to give Him, give him the glory. So I'll invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Acts 15, verses 20 through 22 through 41 with a, a title, The Advantage of Being in Community and Keeping Yourself Pure. Now the question through this particular sermon will be, is it really us who keeps ourselves pure? Or do we need community to help us in this endeavor? Do we need empowerment by God Himself to keep pure and what element does the community play in helping us to stay on the path of being pure to meet this need do we need help of community so we'll dive back into the book of acts a few things that are helpful for us as we move forward now we have peter and paul and barnabas and and, and silas will be listed as the premier disciples apostles elders who were answering a council at Jerusalem. And this Jerusalem council has gathered to discuss the old covenant ceremonial law of circumcision. There are a few Pharisees who seem to believe in Jesus or at least believe somewhat something about Jesus as Messiah. And they are advocating that the Gentile believers must be circumcised as to the ceremonial law. In order to be considered redeemed or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, they've imposed this ceremonial law of circumcision as as we have discussed last week, 
Jesus Christ is the end of the line for the ceremonial, the civil, civil, and also the moral law of God. The buck stops at Jesus. Two hand scriptures stand out amongst the first portions of Acts concerning the new believers. We find these verses in verse 8 and verse 9, and they read, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by the act of baptism and circumcision. By faith, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, the work of Jesus Christ has removed this yoke of ceremonial law. If the sacrifice of Jesus removed this burden, then the reasoning is, why do we try to put the heavy burden back upon the neck of grace? And there are many connecting points, I think, to the modern church. I listed some of those last week. And most, if not all, of these delve into the realm of legalism. Just to kind of refresh our mind what legalism is, legalism is simply an attempt to add stipulations and laws back upon the grace of God. Adding something to the law or command that are not dictated in Scripture throughout the Old and the New Covenant. Adding something that one must do above and beyond in order to force God to show you favor. Something like this. If you pray 20 times a day, then you're spiritual. If you don't, you're not. If you wear these certain clothes or if you read one particular translation of the Bible over the other, then you're holier than the rest. That's legalism. The apostles come up with a plan. Let's write to the Gentile believers and warn them to refrain from the sins marked by idolatry and pagan worship and paganism, these things that may be a stumbling block to others in the way. Followers of Christ. Those things that might be a stumbling block. We'll talk about that as we get to that key text. What are some things that might be a stumbling block? Well, for the Gentiles, it was don't look like the pagans that you're used to. Don't do the things that pagans used to do. You have been called out of that. So what is the context? Who will take the letter and what is the context? Well, verse 22 and 23 helps us with the context. And these read, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church that met together to choose men from amongst them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they sent Judas called Barsabbas, which is mentioned in, with Matthias and this Judas, Silas, and leading men amongst the brothers with the following letter. This is what they are to write. This is the introduction to this letter. Brothers both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia greetings. Now, if you remember, Paul and Barnabas have come from this area already, and they will return to invest in the life of the church and the community there. 
So with that introduction, I will ask you if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word, beginning at verse 24. The message in this letter is going to be in help, it's going to be helpful, and it will be instructive for the Christ follower today. This portion of Scripture, most of Acts, is what we call descriptive instead of prescriptive, but it is helpful for the church today. The greeting of this letter reads as such, beginning at verse 24. Since we have heard that the same persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and, and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Number one, that you would abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from that which has been strangled, from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourselves from these, then you will do well. Farewell. Father, we ask a blessing upon this reading today. Speak to us. God, draw us near to you. Shape us, mold us, transform us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, these are four men that are chosen to greet the Gentile church with a letter of admonition and instruction and also encouragement. In this regard, admonition is also encouragement. These were apostles and elders who were called to go with an urgent message. And it is extremely important for the body of Christ to instruct and to, to discipline or disciple one, one another. As I have been in ministry for quite some time, I have been senior pastor in some capacity for at least 13 years in ministry in some regard since 1996-97, somewhere around that. One of the most hurtful problems that I have seen within the life and health of the church is to let something that is harmful or detrimental to the body of Christ perpetuate. We could use the terminology to fester and to cause disruption as if that problem will work itself out or go away. And by the way, the problems never really work themselves out unless they are addressed. And you can hang your hat on many problems. There could be a problem within the church body of incessant gossiping. It could be bad Sunday school teaching. It could be a poor pulpit ministry. It could be faulty or unethical Leadership, the list can go on. But the duty of the body of Christ is to identify these issues and then to apply the balm of God's word and do so smoothly and gently. The words of Galatians chapter 6, beginning verse 1, 
reminds us that if a brother is found in falter, if they are found in transgression, that we who are mature in faith are to restore them, but to do so gently, to apply the balm of God's Word, even though it might be a rebuke, to, to apply the balm of God's Word sharply and yet smoothly and gently and in love. So these men met together, and as iron sharpens iron, they met together, they conversed together, these people sharpened one another, and they sought discernment. We want to know the will of God. What would the Lord have us do in this situation? And the apostles met, the council met, the elders met. And they come to a conclusion. And they wrote these things out to send to the, to the churches, the Gentile believers. And I'll submit to you the first portion of this is the advantage of being in community. I would go further to refine this as gospel community. Being in a gospel community and gospel fellowship. See, there are a lot of churches that define community and fellowship that are almost anti-gospel today. Gospel community and gospel-centered fellowship. These certain persons are from the circumcised in the church at Jerusalem and and they had heard of the spread of the good news amongst the Gentiles in Cyprus and Pamphylia and South Galatia, which is Perga and Pisidia and Lyconia and these places that we have already seen a map of. These places that Paul and the apostles have already seen believers spring up. Verse 24 says, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we have gave them no instructions. The Apostle Paul describes like people in Galatians 3 in the following manner, or in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, the burden of the law. This is similar to a person today who sees the church that has satisfaction in Jesus, the follower of Christ who has pure satisfaction in Jesus. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Are you satisfied in Jesus today? Well, there are folks in the church, maybe even among us, who might see those who have satisfaction in Christ alone, and because they don't have this joy, they don't have this satisfaction, they try to put some burden or even highly criticize her. And I'll remind you that most of the highly critical people within the church are also the ones who are immature in their faith and have lost their satisfaction only found in Jesus, or it might be that they have never had satisfaction in Jesus. They might be like those who are among us, but not of us. These men have come in and have tempted to add the law back upon grace and have palpitated their heart. The wording is they have palpitated. 
I mean, they have really labored the heart of the Gentile believers. Not in the literal sense, maybe. They have brought anxiety. Okay, I thought it was just through Jesus, His death and resurrection. Now what is this thing? And they have become anxious. They have, you have been troubled. These men have added weight to their already baggage that they're carrying. I don't know anybody who ever, who ever existed, who come to know the Lord Jesus, who didn't have some baggage with them. The early church and discipling in the early church is, was very, very messy. Messy. It is today, too. I don't know anybody who ever existed, who come to know Christ, who didn't carry some baggage with them. But here, these folks are trying to add to their baggage, trying to plunder their baggage, trying to ravage what they're already carrying and adding weight back upon it. Adding the weight of trying to carry out this law of circumcision. It's a powerful picture of disorder formed by these, what are called Judaizers. So to reassure that the Gentile believers, he wanted to reassure them, Paul says as they are writing, we didn't send them with this message. We gave them, we did not give them these instructions. They did not, you did, they did not get this from the apostolic authority of, of me or any of the apostles. Verse 25 says, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, in one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. In other words, we want, we want you to know that these men are willing to risk their lives in order for you to be walking in truth and grace of the Lord Jesus. I hope that there are a few good men in this body who are willing to risk their lives in order for folks to come and draw near to Jesus, to grow in, their, in the knowledge, to be, to be mature. Now, we need a few good men who will do the same. Now, I use this terminology very generically. We need people who are willing to risk much in order for the church to grow. So let me ask you this, who are you walking with? Are you walking with someone? Is someone walking, I don't, in the literal sense, walking in this, in this life, you walk with Christ, walk with one another. In other words, who might you be discipling? Who might you be walking with? And you might say, well, all that discipleship stuff, that is it for me. And in your heart of hearts now, you might even have symbolically crossed your arms and have shut me off altogether. That's not for me. I'm too old, I'm too young. But do you know that Jesus commanded you to make disciples? Now, it won't look different for, for everybody. It might look different for you, for me. But as I mentioned earlier, the rightful end and our goal for making disciples is that we have a right view of worship and we would give God all the glory. We return the glory of worship to, to the one who has saved us. He commanded you to make disciples. Are we so hard-hearted and far from God that we will not do what he has commanded us to do? And so, my challenge and admonition is to uncross your arms 
dig into what God has called you to do? And maybe let the shame of your disobedience fuel your now obedience. And I think that's appropriate. Maybe pragmatic of some sense. Who are you invested in? Who are you investing in? Who do you know that needs a dose of truth in love? Verse 27 says, For we therefore send Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. They're going to tell you exactly what we have discussed and come, come to a conclusion on. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us to lay, you, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And we'll talk about those in a moment. But I find it very interesting that, that there is a listing and a reminder of the Holy Spirit. We have met together, and as iron sharpens iron in community, we come up with a solid solution. And we believe that this solution was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. You remember Him, right? I think often we talk about the Holy Spirit, and we have relegated the Holy Spirit to a footnote somewhere in our Bibles. As if the Holy Spirit is not actively working, even now, in your heart. As I read the Word, the Holy Spirit, in unction with what, I'm, what we're reading and deciphering, the Holy Spirit is working. But He reminds this church, the Holy Spirit, you remember Him, you know, the one who lit your heart aflame with, with the truth that, that God sent His Son Jesus and that you were birthed into right fellowship and right relationship and right worship with Himself. You remember the Holy Spirit, you remember that Holy Spirit who let you know that you are a sinner? That let you know that Jesus is exactly who He proclaimed to be and is forevermore? And He has risen from the grave? He has defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave. Remember that Holy Spirit that pointed His finger to you and revealed, pulled back the veil? What words of encouragement these are. And it's going to be for this group of believers. And here is what they come up with. This is a review. We've heard this read already, but this is what they come up with. To not look like the pagan. To not look like you used to be. You are a new creation. A new, crea new creature in Christ. The old have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Don't look like the pagan anymore. So you are to abstain from the from what has been sacrificed to idols. Remember when you used to do that? And from the blood, and from those that have been strangled, right, wrongfully killed, as a sacrifice to some pagan god, and abstain from sexual immorality. And that if you keep yourself from these, you will do well, for you will not be a stumbling block to other believers. Farewell. So if I, if I think it's okay to have a glass of wine or a beer in front of somebody who is above and beyond and thinks it's a sin, I'm not going to have a beer in front of that person. Their convictions might be different. Now, now if I'm stumbling around and I have intoxicated myself, then that is a sin. 
If I have a cigar and I want to light up that cigar and I'm in the presence of somebody who would say that that is a sin or I don't believe that smoking a cigar is is being a Christ follower. It doesn't exhibit Christ. I'm not going to smoke that cigar in front of that person. We have a freedom in Christ of the things that are not prescribed as sinful in Scripture, but there is also conviction, and we ought to put in place those things that is not a stumbling block. If I have a tattoo on my body, and I know somebody who is adamantly against tattoos and says it's a sin, I'm not going to go and show my sleeve to them. It's a great example of gospel community here. These these are people who are not afraid to meet together and to wrestle with the tough theological questions. These are tough theological questions. Those, Those examples that I just mentioned with our practical things in life that we come across every day, there is a theological reflection about those things. And it's good to meet together and talk about those tough biblical theological questions, and I think that we should. These are people in gospel community who did not forego or push aside the hard speech when it comes to correction. Now, what I just said blows the enlightenment and the idea of the enlightenment out of the water that says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, and who are you to tell me that I am wrong? What I just read in Scripture blows that whole mentality out of water. The Navigators is an organization. Anyone heard of the Navigators? The Navigators is an organization. I would say they were a movement that still exists today, formed in 1933. And they, their premise was to nurture a sense of what they call life-on-life discipleship. They, they define a disciple of Jesus as one who continues in the Word, who loves others who bears fruit and puts Christ first. Let me read that again. They continue in the word, which is central. They love others. They produce fruit or bear fruit and puts Christ first. Now, this is not a definition of a disciple. A disciple is a learner of Christ, one who is living a life that is trying to mimic their Lord. They are trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. They are a learner of Jesus. But in this definition, these are characteristics of a disciple. And now all these attributes can be done alone as a lone ranger Christian. But they are not beneficial to the kingdom of God. But there is one that cannot be done in isolation. Do you know which one? Which one of these cannot be done in isolation? Even though all of those attributes of a disciple are beneficial in community, but which one stands alone as one that you absolutely cannot do in isolation? You cannot love others in isolation. You cannot love on others in isolation. So Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Silas went with this message to the Gentile believers because they had a love for Christ and they had a love for each other. And Paul mentions this over and again later in his letters, a desire to see the church mature in their faith, sober-minded, mature in their faith, and you do not have the desire unless you love on others in community. 
the apostles had this desire to see Greek believers, Gentile believers back at Antioch and surrounding to refrain from things that lend to sin and idolatry and what would trip a brother or sister up in Christ. So yeah, there is great advantage of being in community and not only that, it's commanded in Scripture that we meet together and we do not forsake the assembling together. I look around in our churches today, not only Piney Grove people, I look around in our churches today and I see pockets that should have worshipers meeting together. And I am reminded that something is amiss. We are not taking the commands of Christ to heart. In some regard, we are practical atheists. We don't really believe the commands. So after this farewell, when they were sent off, they went to Antioch and they gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter with the admonition and encouragement and instruction. And they had read this word, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now I know the men in this group were like, Whew, thank you Lord. But they also rejoiced because they have not been, because they have been accepted, not only by the Lord Jesus, but they also rejoice because now they have been accepted as part of this gospel community. Not only are they accepted by Christ because they have come and believed and repented and have trusted in Jesus as Messiah, but now they have been engrafted into this gospel community. That should be something to rejoice over. You know how many times I hear somebody say that they have gone to a church and they felt out of place that should never happen in a church, people. That should never happen in any body of believers where somebody comes in and they felt unwelcome. So maybe for us that would be to up our game. The Bible says in verse 32, and Judas and Silas, they were themselves prophets or preachers, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. We can lean on the Judas and the Silas's of the world to encourage and strengthen, to give a word of encouragement. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch. Okay, well, they were just thrown out. And here they are again, teaching and preaching. Paul probably even bore the scars of being stoned almost to death. And there he is, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul and Barnabas, they stayed with the church at Antioch to walk with them, to disciple them through preaching and teaching and to build and to nurture this gospel community. They continued to preach and to live the gospel. They didn't just hand them a gospel tract, although those have their place, they didn't just hand them the gospel according to John or Matthew, even though they probably hadn't been scribed yet, and say, have at it. You're on your own. Welcome to the family of God. Read the gospel of John, and there you go. If you need any help, give me a call. No, they invested in this new community of believers. 
After some days, Paul and Barnabas said, well, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. They were invested in the community to return there and to oversee. Barnabas wanted to take with them. John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp dis disagreement. And so they separated from each other. Now Acts 13, 13 shows when Mark left. And we're not exactly told exactly. Maybe the load was a little tough for Mark at the moment to bear. And so he, it seemed, as Paul, Paul's mind, that he abandoned the work. But now he is with him. It is, it is a... It is a, um, an encouraging reminder as we read the book of Mark that Mark actually received his gospel account from the Apostle Peter. And so we'll see reconciliation. We'll see reconciliation come, but we'll see that later on. The Bible says that Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So unless our, our eyes be drawn to this sharp disagreement, just let me say very quickly, and this and we'll move on, is that there are sharp disagreements. There are disagreements that we have one another, whether it be on, on church government, whether it be on the way that we order worship, whatever it might be, there might be disagreements, but guess what? We can work past that uh, for the gospel and for the gospel proclamation. There are things that we can work past. There are things into, and hills that we sh shouldn't have to die on, right? We'll see reconciliation as we progress through the book of Acts. But there is an importance of staying pure and seeking others to help us in this line of thinking and living. This is best, out, best lived out in gospel community. We get glaring glimpses of this when the apostles, when the elders and council, they meet to discern the will of God on an issue of circumcision. It's best done in community. We see this when they are gathered together, the four of them, take the letter to the Gentiles in community. We see this community when they deliver the letter and they stay behind and they preach to the new Gentiles, making sure they have this firm foundation. The church's firm foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. They wanted to make sure that they had this, this um, teaching intact. We see the admonition and the admonishing of community with this sharp disagreement between Paul and Peter. Uh, but there will be reconciliation with John Mark as well. We keep ourselves pure, better in community. And we are better at making an impact for the kingdom together than we are in isolation. So again, in closing, the question remains, as we circle back to this question, who are you walking with? Who's walking with you? Who are you walking with close enough to ask the tough questions? What are you struggling with? What are you working through? Let's work through these tough biblical questions together. Who can you speak tough love into as we see in the text? Who can we gather with and as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another? So let me say this, and we will end and we will gather around the communion table. It is easier together. 
The advantage of being in community is that we also help keep one another pure. Now we know that this purity only comes from God Himself, but it helps us to walk a path that is rightfully worshiping Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you pray with me?